We are in this series, Faith in the Wild. We're now in week five, and the message is movement is life. Turn to someone next to you and say, movement is life. You know, right when the pandemic started to happen in March, my wife and I, we had taken our four kids on a road trip, and literally, we're on the road. We've now been driving for about an hour and a half. When all of a sudden we start getting text messages, phone calls, and people start saying, hey, the mayor's shutting down the city, um, and not just Tulsa, it's being shut down all over the nation, states are being shut down, businesses are closing, restaurants are closing, churches are closing, what are you going to do? And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm feeling like, I don't know, Will Smith and Enemy of the State. I'm like, I'm, I'm just thinking about all these movies, I'm thinking about, you know, all of the crazy, like, World War Z, the zombie movies and the walking dead that, you know, cities are closing down. And I'm like, are they shutting down the highways? They said, not yet, but they will pretty soon. Get all your money out of the bank. We're going to have to run for the hills. We're going to hide in caves. We're going to bunker down until this thing's over. Might take a couple years. And I was like, no. And they were like, what? I was like, no, we're going to keep moving forward because movement is life. We have no other option but to move forward. And, and Ashley says, should we go home? What should we do? I said, no, we're going to keep moving forward. We're on the road, and I'm just feeling. There was a movie that Ashley and I watched a couple years ago called World War Z. And it was like this zombie movie, and these people got this virus, and, and, and everyone who got the virus went crazy, and it just spread through the whole world, started in Jerusalem, and spread across India, Africa, and then Australia, South America, Central America, made its way into the United States and all over the world. And there was a few people who had not caught the virus and they were hiding in their homes, hiding in their apartments. And Ashley reminded me of this a couple weeks ago. She said, Paul, you remind me of the lead actor on that movie, Brad Pitt. I said, say that again. What'd you say? <laughs> I just needed to hear that. She said, Brad Pitt. I said, you think I look like Brad Pitt? She said, no, I didn't say you look like him. I just said, you remind him, <laughs> remind me of him from the movie. I was like, uh-huh. Man, I was feeling like nine feet tall. I felt like Goliath after she said that. I was like, what? I just feel better about myself right now. She said, but in that movie, he had to make a decision to keep moving while everyone was hiding. Everyone was shrinking back. And there's this moment in the movie where he's got his kids and they're, they're running through this city street. And there's, you know, these people who have caught the virus. They're all running after him and their kids. And he goes into this apartment, finds this family. They lock all the doors. They've got guns. And this family says, we're going to hide here until this is over or until we die. And he said, we can't hide here forever. We can't stay hidden forever. We've got to move forward. And the little boy of this other family says, Daddy, listen to him. Listen to him. we got to get out of here. They're going to find us anyways. We're going to die if we stay here. The little boy is begging his dad to listen to Brad Pitt. He says, please listen to him. And he says, movement is life. We, we can't stay here. Movement is life. Reminded me of a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. You see, this virus attacks anything and everything it can touch. And what, what we have to decide in this moment is not whether or not we're going to catch the virus, but whether or not we're going to be paralyzed with fear. Fear paralyzes you. Faith mobilizes you. I can't say that I'm not going to come in contact with this virus. I don't know if I have in the last several months. I probably have. I've probably had it. You've probably had it. But the question is not, are you going to die? The question is, are you going to live while you're alive? 
Everyone's trying to avoid death right now. Every church and every company, everybody's like, how do we not die? How do we not die? At Victory, we're talking about how are we going to live? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to rise up? How are we going to bring hope? How are we going to bring courage? We're going to move forward. And so when the pandemic hit, I said, listen, we got to get out there on the front lines. We got to serve. We got to bring food. We got phone calls from people in different uh, government official offices saying, you guys really need to shut down the Dream Center. You need to stop this. I said, who's going to feed people? Are you going to do it? Is the mayor's office going to do it? You guys got a a warehouse you're going to feed everyone? Well, maybe you guys should stay open. I said, okay. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just saying we are here for such a time as this. And we are not going to back down. We're going to serve. They said, well, you guys might die. And I said, well... I'll ask the team if they feel like taking a risk then. And when I I called up our staff and I said, are you guys willing to do this? They said, we're in this. We're in this to serve God and serve people. And our staff has done a phenomenal job rising up in this hour. I want to give it up for all the Dream Center staff, Victor Christian School, Victor Bible College, the church staff, our sound, our camera guys, those that work behind the scenes, our children's church, our nursery, those that have worked through this pandemic and served you. And as a result of not backing down, not closing down, not bowing down, We've seen God begin to multiply the food that we were giving. You see, the first week of the pandemic, I said, we're going to open up. We're going to give whatever food we have. 5,000 people showed up that first week because so many people lost their jobs. Not everybody was a full-time salary-paid employee in in the entire world. There's a lot of part-time people that immediately lost jobs, lost their paycheck. And a lot of people had closed down. A lot of Government places had closed down from helping, but the Dream Center and the church was open. We began to give groceries out. We ran out of groceries on the first day. They said, what, we, what should we do next week? I said, let's pray that God provides. You see, when you start moving, movement is life. When you start moving, God starts moving. God's looking to partner with people that are willing to move with faith over fear, that are willing to move with courage in a crisis. That are, you see, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And when our church took that stand, other business leaders called and said, we want to be a part of this. We're going to donate our paycheck to help pay for food for the hungry. This week, we had businessmen and businesswomen rising up saying, we want to come and serve. Now we've been able to give over 6 million meals in the last 25 weeks. We've been leading thousands of people to Christ. Come on, church. If you got a Bible, open to Hebrews 11, because we're about to move through a chapter of Characters that God used that made a decision to move with faith. The thing I love about the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that it's a book of movement. It's not a book of stagnation. You know, I was, I was with uh, my boys the other day, and we, I had them in my truck. And as I was getting them out of the truck, they're taking their time. Liam is six years old. He gets out of the truck. Then Benny gets out of the truck. Little ducklings, they're just getting out. Finally, Mac is there, and he just stands there. I was like, come on, Mac. And he was like, Mm-mm. I was like, come on, Mac. Mm-mm. And I was like, don't you do that. Don't, don't you get an attitude with your daddy. You know, he's like two years old. And he's like, Mm-mm. you know, we're having a power struggle, me and a two-year-old. <laughs> and I said, don't stay on this step. It's time to come down. Mm-mm. So finally, I just lifted him up, brought him out. I'm bigger than him. But so many of us are like Mac. We get stuck on a step. We get stubborn. Some of you are stuck on a step in your marriage and you're stubborn about it. Some are stuck on a step of fear. 
won't take another step because what if I fail? What if God doesn't show up? What if I step out and things don't work out? What if all things don't work together for good? And, and Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. I'm going to give you four ways to move. Number one, move with faith. You see, Hebrews 11 tells us a story, a chapter of all of these characters that had to make a decision to move with faith. They had to see something in here that they couldn't see out there. They had to believe that as they took a step, everything was going to work out. In fact, Hebrews 11 Verse three says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. He said something before he saw it. Moving with faith is speaking those things into existence. Some of us are speaking fear into the world. We're speaking curses into the world. We're saying things are just getting worse. I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to make it. That's fear. But you also have a decision to speak faith. God shows us how to speak faith by his command. He said, let there be light. And there was light. My best days are right in front of me. God's not finished with me yet. I will see the victory. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Faith is speaking it even when you're not certain because you don't see it in the natural. My certainty is not in what I see in the natural. My confidence is not in how I feel. I might feel exhausted. I came to church this morning with very little sleep from last night. We got four little kids that just keep us up. I don't have to have all the energy in the world to move with faith. I just have to get out there and make a decision. I'm going to move even when I'm tired. I'm going to move even when I'm exhausted. I'm going to move even when I'm afraid. Do it afraid. I was watching the movie Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. And there's this moment in the movie where he has to make a decision to take a step of faith, even when he's not sure whether or not that step is going to be there. Y'all remember that part in the movie where he's looking out, he's looking at this book, his dad's screaming, Indy, Indy, go do it. He's got to save his dad's life. Oftentimes the move we have to make with faith, there's people that are counting on our faith. There's parents that are counting on your faith. They can't take the step. They need you to take the step. My grandma even said that. She said, I'm so glad you're taking a step. We need the next generation to take another step. We need you to take another step. When you move with faith, just like he did in that movie, all of a sudden you begin to see that what you thought was going to fail you, what you thought was not going to work out. What would you do if you knew nothing you did would fail? What would you do if you knew you could succeed at any step you take? We need to get the kind of faith that says, if God's word said it, I'm going to step into it. If God's word promised it, I'm going to take another step into it. Even if you just move one inch a day. When you look at Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. In other words, you can't please God unless you believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who keep taking steps towards what he's called them to do, who he's called them to be. Your step to come to church today, your step to, to watch church right now online, to watch it right there on YouTube, that step, God, you're saying, I believe there's a God, and I believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, in verse 7, when warned about things that hadn't been seen, in holy fear, he built an ark. No one had seen an ark before. It hadn't rained in hundreds of years. And this generation didn't even know what a boat was. But Noah was building for the future. When my mom and dad started Victory and got a vision in their heart, one day we would have an auditorium. We were a mobile church for 24 years. We would set up and tear down at Oral Roberts University, the Maybe Center, from 1985 all the way up until the, the late 2000s. 
that first decade. It wasn't until 2007 that we finally moved into this auditorium. And when we did, people said, Billy Joe, Sharon, why did you guys build this massive auditorium? It's not like we live in Houston, Texas with Joel Osteen where there's millions of people. It's not like we live in Los Angeles or New York City. We don't have, like Tulsa's only 500,000 people. And why would you do this? But my dad was building for a day that he didn't even see yet in the natural. Because in the last six weeks, we've been running out of space in our 11 a.m. service. And we've had to fill up the first floor chapel, the second floor chapel, the overflow rooms during the month of September. And I see a day where it's not just in the 11 a.m. service, but it's in the 9 a.m. service. It's in our Saturday night. It's in our Sunday night. It's in our Wednesday night. I see a day where our youth group is busting from the seams in their building. We're not just building for what we see in the natural. We're building with eyes of faith. We're building with the vision for the future. This is an ark, my friends, saving people from a pandemic. You're here for such a time as this. And let this movement of faith that we're in right now get on the inside of you. What's in this house, let it get on the inside of you. By faith, Abraham, verse 8, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. Didn't even know where he was going. But he just knew I got to take another step. I've got to move. There's a story in the Old Testament that I oftentimes go back to. And my personality is such a I, I'm a mover. I'm constantly moving. Even when I'm sitting, I'm moving. You know, our world has has decreased in its movement. It's interesting. Uh, before I share this Old Testament story, I want you to just think about the idea of movement, the idea of movement. Scientists, doctors, psychologists have said that movement, all movement affects our emotions, it affects our mental health, it affects our physical state, that when you're not moving, you are more susceptible to sickness, disease, obesity, depression, suicidal thoughts. The less movement our society has, the more dark our society gets. It says humans are meant to move. The body contributes far more to our lives than just physical attributes such as strength and endurance. It plays a major role in our emotional state, our learning ability, even our relationships, our marriages. The body is intimately involved in all of our thought processes, our understanding, our decision making. The mind and the body are inseparable. And so when I started seeing these articles and these news stories coming out about contact tracing, how, how our phones and smartphones, these companies out of San Francisco, they're watching our movements. They're always watching us. Every step you take, every move you make, every, I'll be watching you. That's what the government's singing over you right now. They're watching you. They're watching our steps. And then when they, they find out that you tested positive or something, they start asking questions like, what's your movement been? Where have you been moving around to? How much movement have you had? Who have you come in contact with? Where did you go? What did you do? And there's this discouragement against movement. Like I was watching this news story and they were like, we all just need to stay in our homes and stop moving around. If people would just stay put and stop moving around, this thing would go away. If we just stay put, just not. And that's exactly what I think the enemy wants to do. Because here's the other logical thought. If we're like, let's just step away for a second from the spiritual side. The same scientist who said we shouldn't be moving said, Really, our only hope is community immunity. But to have community immunity, people have to get out of their homes. And they have to be brave enough to move around. But we shouldn't move around. 
We should just wait for a couple years until a vaccine comes. But we're not sure if a vaccine's coming. And if a vaccine comes, we're not even sure if it's 100% going to work. And if it does work, we might also have to put a chip in your brain and a number on your forehead and on your arm. <laughs> you know, y'all are like, this dude's a conspiracy theorist. But here's what I'm trying to say. The logic just contradicts itself. At some point, we have to stop looking at all of these contradictions and go, what is God's word telling me to do? And God's word is saying, keep moving forward. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is about movement. Faith is not just a thought. It's not just a word. It's an action. It's a verb. Faith requires me to move forward even when I'm afraid, even when I don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense. Noah wasn't building an ark because it made sense. He was building an ark because God told him to build an ark. Abraham wasn't moving in a country he'd never been to and didn't understand just because it was a nice idea. He wanted to go on vacation. He was doing it because God was calling him to do it. Faith requires us to believe in a God we can't see and believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Movement is life. Movement is life. In less than two generations, movement has dropped by 20% in the United Kingdom, by 32% in the United States, and by 45% in China. Movement is at an all-time low in 2020. Vehicles, machines, technology has now replaced our own movement. It does all the moving for us. Why move when you can just click the mouse? Why move when you can just order Grubhub? Why move when Amazon can deliver it right to your doorstep? You don't even have to leave your house. Why take a move when you can get it all to your phone and all on your iPad? Because movement is life. More people are dying from depression and suicidal thoughts as a result of not moving than COVID-19. Let's stop acting like COVID-19 is the biggest, scariest sickness and disease in the entire world. There's a lot more worse sicknesses and diseases. You got a bigger chance of dying going on a drive down the highway than you do dying from COVID-19, even when you're 89 years old. See, the enemy wants us to buy into so much baloney that's going on right now through the news waves and bowing down to the spirit of fear that we're all trying to avoid death. The Bible says it's appointed unto all of us to die. We're all going to die. Y'all are like, I didn't come to church to hear that today, Paul. It's going to happen. Whether it happens in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100. The question is not, will you die? The question is, will you live? Will you live while you have time on this earth? Or will you just try to avoid dying your entire life? So in 2 Kings chapter 7, it's a story about life or death. And between life and death is just one word, movement, movement. In 2 Kings 7, verse 1, Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. By this time tomorrow, everything's going to change in this city. By this time tomorrow, this famine is going to be over. The food will be here and it will go on sale for a lot cheaper than it's been. By this time tomorrow, everything's going to change. Two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria because Samaria had been in a famine. And in their minds, there was no way they were getting out of this pandemic. The pandemic was going to kill them all. They were all going to die. And here they, they had run out of food, run out of water, run out of change, pulling all their money out of the bank, living in their homes, afraid. And the officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? When you're moving forward with faith, there's always people who are going to question it. 
Like, let's just say that you don't catch the virus. Is God actually going to cure it? Let's just say that your church opens up, your school opens up, and, and, and let's just say things work out. Is he actually going to heal our nation? Can he actually do that? There's always someone who's doubting the impossible. And I love how Elisha answers the critic. He answers the cynic. He says, you will see the miracle of God, but you won't get to experience it. You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not get to taste it. You're going to see what God's about to do. That doubt was limiting his belief. Doubt was limiting his expectations. He had placed a lid over what he thought God could do. One of my just missions in life, I believe, is to lift the lid off of people's minds of what God can do in and through their life. Nothing is impossible for God. So every week, somehow, I'm going to weave in a theme of just taking the limits off that God wants to do greater. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can perceive. The things he wants to do is beyond what you could ask, hope, dream, or imagine. We serve a big God, a great God, the same God that parted the Red Sea for Moses, parted the Jordan River for Joshua, the same God that moved on the heart of the king for Esther, the same God that brought down the walls of Jericho, the same God that ended a pandemic and ended a famine and cured a sickness and brought hope to, to those who were hopeless, the same God that cured leprosy, the same God that caused blind eyes to be opened, that same God is still working today in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2020. Yes, even in a pandemic, God can do the impossible. And if you ask me, how do you know, Paul? Did he do it just for you? Did he do it for someone else? Yeah, I've been seeing people left and right get healed of COVID like that. I believe the virus is real. I also believe our God is bigger than the virus. I also believe the great physician is even stronger than the medicine. <laughs> I believe in practical medicine. I'm all for doctors and nurses. Let's pray for doctors and nurses, by the way. They need our prayers. We need to be praying for all those that are out there on the front lines, ministering in hospitals, nursing homes. But let's not forget that we serve a God who can do the impossible. We watched a girl who was dead just two months ago come back to life. Then she was brain dead. The doctor said she'll be a vegetable if she stays alive. Not only did she get out of those machines, but she was in church this morning again for the third week in a row, lifting her hands, jumping, worshiping, talking to her husband, praying for people afterwards down here at the front. We serve a miracle working God. So then verse three, it says, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? Why stay here until we die? Why should we stay here and just wait until the day that we die? If we sit here, we could sit here paralyzed in fear. Not only do we have leprosy, but we're in a famine. Our own families are dying right now. So if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go to our families, we're going to die there because they don't have any food for us. Watch what they say next. If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die there. So they're going through the options. Option one, we die. Option two, we also die. Option three, <laughs> if we go over to the camp of the Arameans and we surrender to them, if they spare us, we'll live. It's a 50-50 chance there. The first two it's a 100% chance we're going to die. The third option, we might die, but we also might live. I'd rather take the third option. I'd rather take the risk that even though I'm going to move out of my comfort zone, I'm going to move out of what's easy, what I've grown accustomed to. So many people are stuck in what they've grown accustomed to. 
We stay stuck in toxic relationships. We stay stuck in addictions. We stay stuck in attitudes, behaviors. We stay stuck in how we think it needs to be, what we've gotten used to. I'm just comfortable here. I think I'll just stay right here. But these four lepers, they had a decision to make. If we stay here, we'll die. And if we go home, we'll die. But if we attack what's been attacking us, if we push back on what's been pushing us back, there's a chance we might live. It's going to cost us our lives. If we go over there, we might die immediately. They might kill us the second they see us. Move with faith. Josh, will you stand up? I need your help. I want you to pretend to be fear. Fear. (laughs) And this is what fear's been doing. Fear's been pushing the church back. Pushing Christians back. Pushing people into closure. Pushing people into bankruptcy. Pushing people into fear. Pushing people to drop out of college. Pushing people to give up on their dreams. Pushing people to bow down to political correctness. Pushing people to give up on the confidence that they once had in God. Pushing people into a corner. Pushing people away from their God-given assignment. But what if you started to push back? What would fear do if you started walking towards it? Because I've, I've been watching fear for the last six months as our church has opened up. I've been paying attention to the reports. I've been watching what's been happening with people's health in our church. I've been watching as the church has risen up with faith. Fear is losing its place. Fear you don't own me. Fear you can't hold me. Fear you can't stop me. Fear you got to go. Fear you got to get out of here. You see, once you start to rise up with courage, fear starts to lose its power. So many of us have been pushed into a corner because we're not even trying to push back. And my phone calls to friends and leaders is start pushing back. Start pushing back. It might be scary, but I'm telling you, once you start pushing back, fear starts backing up. This last week, I was watching the movie The Wizard of Oz with our kids. Remember that movie? It came out like 100 years ago. (laughs) It's it's an old movie. But there's this, it starts out with Dorothy, right? And she's, she's working at her parents' house or her aunt and uncle's house. And she's got her three friends. And then she gets pulled off in a tornado and she ends up in the land of Oz. And somehow those three friends appear later on now in this new land of Oz. They're no longer working for uncle and aunt. Now one of them's a scarecrow, one of them's a tin man, and one of them's a lion. What's so funny is at the beginning of the movie, I missed this as a kid, because when I watched it as a kid, I was so afraid of the Wicked Witch, because we actually lived next door to a witch growing up. We had an actual witch who was like a next door neighbor to my parents. The only witch in Tulsa was right next door to pastors Billy Joe and Sharon Darty. <laughs> she had a cat named Lucifer. Am I, am I, I'm, I'm telling the truth, right? I remember there were times we were in the backyard and she'd be like, Lucifer, get back in this house. Sometimes Lucifer would try to crawl in our treehouse, and I was like, Lucifer, get out of here in Jesus' name. <laughs> Bottom line is this. We were watching The Wizard of Oz. And the three friends of Dorothy in the beginning all struggled with the thing that they would struggle with later on when she met them in a different state. One of them struggled with feeling like he had a brain. One of them struggled with feeling like he could have courage. One of them struggled with feeling like he had a heart. 
And so later on in the movie, she meets these three guys. One's a tin man, he needs a heart. One's a scarecrow, he needs a brain. One's a lion, and he needs courage. And she leads them on this journey, and they get to the great Wizard of Oz, and they're asking the Wizard of Oz to give them what they're lacking. We need what we're lacking, and you're the only one who can do it. And he appears so strong, so big, so mighty. And he says, in order to get this, you have to take down the Wicked Witch of the West, right? you got to bring her broom back to me. So they go, and with, with fear in their hearts and intimidation and not feeling like they're the most qualified people, they go and they attack that witch that's been attacking them. And they end up getting the broom, and she melts. I'm melting, right? And uh, I prayed over my kids that night before we went to sleep, made sure they had good dreams, made sure they understood that Jesus is greater than any demonic power. All right, but let's not be afraid of that stuff. Okay, so... They kill the witch. They get rid of the witch. (laughs) Then they bring the broom back to the Wizard of Oz. This time when they come back, he appears to be this mighty, strong guy. And there's this moment in the movie when they come before him where her little dog, Toto, goes over towards this area. And it's kind of over to the side. And the wizard's talking, I am the great Wizard of Oz. I am the mighty, the strong. Who dares come near me? And Toto pulls the curtain back. And there's this older man who's pretending to be this great wizard. And he's very weak. And they finally see it. And he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. (laughs) Pay no attention. And Dorothy comes over there. She says, you're not. You're not as big as we thought you were. You're not as strong as you appeared to be. And then the the lion says, you're just a humbug. And he says, you're right. I am a humbug. I've been pretending. And when I saw this, I started thinking about what the devil has been doing to so many people. He's been hiding behind his curtain and he's been intimidating. He's been pushing people back. And what victory's doing is we're pulling the curtain back on this virus. We're pulling the curtain back on the enemy. And we're saying, we know you're real, but you are not as big as you appear. We know you're a real virus, but you're not as strong as you make yourself out to be. And we're not backing down. You might think we're rednecks here in the Midwest, but man, we got courage. We got a brave heart. We might be weak. We might look like Dorothy, but my goodness, we're going to take down that witch and take the broom. Come on. We've got to rise up and move with faith. These four lepers were making a decision to move forward, even though they were afraid. The thing I love is that they're moving forward together. I want the band to come out. They're moving forward together. Get this. I need some help for a second. Antonio, jump up here. And I need, I need like two more people. Four lepers. All right, Fear, you can come back up here again. <laughs> Caitlin. They're moving forward towards the enemy's camp. Even though... They might die, but they're taking another step, one inch at a time, one step. This is how community immunity works. As we move forward together, we're getting stronger. As we get out of our homes, we're getting stronger. And the Bible says, as they took another step, God began to multiply the sound of their steps. As they began moving towards the enemy's camp, God began to multiply the sound of their steps and made them sound like a mighty army. You see, when you start stepping forward, God starts moving on your behalf. When you move, God moves. When you move with faith, God moves with power. I think about the woman who pressed through the crowd because she needed a miracle. She was moving with faith, and God met her with her faith. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. I think about... Joshua and the the men of Jericho walking around the walls. They're moving. 
And they're questioning in their mind, how in the world are we supposed to conquer this? This, this wall is way too big. Besides, what does movement do to a wall? We're not even pushing the wall down. We don't have bombs. We don't have missiles. There's no way we can knock this wall down. But their movement was creating a reverberation in the ground. You see, when you begin to move, the whole universe begins to conspire on your behalf. God begins to say, there's a courageous girl. When Esther started moving towards the king, the things she was afraid of became less scarier every step she took, every step you take. Number one, move with faith. Number two, move with obedience. Move with obedience. When God says to do something, do it, even when it doesn't make sense. When I was reading Hebrews 11 and I was reading all these stories, I started thinking about how God told Abraham, take your son, your one and only son, and bring him to the mountain and sacrifice your son. This was a crazy request because God had promised Abraham that through this son, you would be the heir of all, you would, be, you would have more children than the stars in the sky. And it says this, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, he obeyed God. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Would you obey God if it cost you something? You see, we call worship singing songs. When we come to church, the first 20 minutes, that's worship. We're singing songs. But worship in the Old Testament was a sacrifice. Prior to David instituting the tabernacle and psalms and songs, so for thousands of years, because David didn't step on the scene until thousands of years. So for thousands of years, worship was a sacrifice. It cost you something. It wasn't a song you sang. It was your best animal that you brought. And in this case, it was Abraham's best thing in the house, his son. And his son's walking with them and he says, Daddy, what are we doing? Abraham said, we're moving with obedience. Where are we moving to? We're moving towards the mountain. What are we going to do? We're going to worship. Where's the sacrifice? Notice that Isaac says, where's the sacrifice? Not what songs are we singing? Where's the sacrifice? That's what I'm going to start asking every Sunday. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the risk? We've lost our risk-taking ability. Whatever's comfortable, whatever's easy, whatever's convenient, just Amazon it, just Grubhub it, just... Order, you know, just get it. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the risk? And Abraham said, God will provide. They get to the mountain. Isaac gets on the altar. He's part of this obedience. Isaac recognizes he's the sacrifice. He could have gotten off. He could have said, Daddy, I don't want to move. He could have been like Mackie. <clears throat> could have been like my son, just standing on the step. <clears throat> you know, but Isaac got up there. And all of a sudden, God stopped Abraham and said, Stop it. I was never going to have you do this. I just wanted to see if you were willing to do it. And he provided a ram in the thicket. And Abraham named that mountain Jehovah Jireh. My God shall provide. God asked Ashley and I to sow significant seeds in the last year, even when the pandemic hit, the sacrifice of just showing up, our staff just showing up, risking our lives. God's been faithful. Jehovah Jireh has continued to bring food on the table, groceries for the kids. God's met our needs. He's meeting the needs of our staff. I've been asking our staff, how are you doing? God's meeting our needs. God's taking care of us. How's your health? God's taking, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting healthier. You see, when you obey, God, Jehovah Jireh always shows up. When you move with obedience, 
Even when it costs you, God says, I'll take care of you. Just trust me. I got you. Watch what happens in, in 2 Kings 7. Back to that story. We'll end with this story. Um, it says, as they walked, God made the sound of their steps to sound like it was the Hittite and the Egyptian kings coming to attack them. And so they fled, verse 7, the enemy fled. They got up and they left at dusk and they abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and they ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and they entered one of the tents and they got silver, gold, clothes. There's always rewards. God favors the bold. There's always rewards for those who move with faith and obedience. They, they had silver, gold, clothes. They returned. They entered another tent and they had more things. And then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're not sharing it with others. We've been keeping it all to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and share what we found. Number three, move with compassion. God doesn't want to just bless you. He wants to bless through you. He wants to bless other people through you. We're living in a time with so much selfishness, so much hostility, just people wishing the worst on others. When the president announced that he had tested positive for COVID-19, just seeing people all over the news cheering, people saying terrible things, vile things against our president. I don't care who you don't like. Don't ever wish ill will on another human being. We're in a time, Jesus said, they will know you by the way you love one another. I know I read stories from the Old Testament and it's like David killed Goliath. I'm never telling you to go and kill another person. Some people are like, ah, I gotta go get my Goliath. I gotta go take out my enemies. No, no, no. The way that you fight your enemies in the New Testament is you love them. And by loving them, you heap burning coals over their head. You kill them with kindness. You, you show compassion. You do for them what they haven't done for you. You pray for those who curse you. You turn the other cheek when they slap you in the face. When my dad walked through so much pain in one season, I remember my senior year at Oral Roberts University, my dad was the interim president. And I remember during this time, there were so many attacks that were happening. And at one point I said something to him. I said, dad, why don't you get back at the people who've done you wrong? As a pastor's kid, I watched my parents just at times get stomped on. Because when you're a bridge builder, you get walked on. When you're a peacemaker and you're a bridge for other people, people walk all over you. And I said, Dad, why don't you? And he said, stop it. Paul, shut your mouth. I said, what? He said, we will not speak ill of anyone. We will not dishonor them and we will show them kindness and compassion. We've never walked a day in their shoes and we're going to love them. We're going to forgive them and we're going to treat them with kindness. That rocked me. I'll never forget it. It was an example, a legacy. How we move in this season will determine how our kids move 20 years from now. So if we move with fear, they'll move with fear. If we move with hatred, they'll move with hatred. They'll spew it out of their mouth. They'll shout it at the next president in 20 years. They'll shout it at their spouse. They'll shout it at their kids. You move with abuse in this season, watch what happens 20 years from now. But if you start moving with compassion, you leave a legacy for the next generation that one day when they're mistreated, they do the very thing that Jesus did. They turn the other cheek. They pray for those who persecute them. And by that, they store up rewards in heaven that no one on earth could ever steal. Number four, move and surrender. That's my final point right here. I'm going to end in five minutes, but can I tell you, we're on God's schedule. We're not on the Dallas Cowboys schedule. We're not on my time schedule. We're, we're here to, today to meet with God and to hear from God. 
And at times when I went past, you know, 1230, I would start apologizing. But I've been watching sermons, messages, um, the sermons. I've been watching preachers' sermons during this pandemic, and they're, they're having longer church services. And I've been, like, apologizing for going past an hour and a half. And I'm like, you know what? We could take a few minutes. We can let the presence of God lead us for a moment. It's okay if we go over a little bit. If you got to leave, that's fine. But this final point right here, move and surrender. When those lepers begin to share what they had, the whole town began to get out of the famine. The pandemic ended. When I was reading Hebrews 11 and I looked at each person, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, it just kept moving. They kept moving. They kept moving. There was this moment in the chapter. It says there were some who were moving with such great faith that they died a martyr's death because of their faith. It says Hebrews 11 verse, verse uh, let's look at this real quick. Hebrews 11, we'll go towards the end of the chapter. And this is what it says. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, verse 29. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By the way, when you move forward with faith, even if you've made a ton of mistakes and you've lived a life that you're not happy about, not proud of, God can still redeem your life. He can still save you. You are never too far gone. You are never too messed up. You are never too broken for God to heal and to use. If he, if he moved through a prostitute like Rahab, he can move through anyone in this room, no matter what your past looks like. See, Rahab went through rehab. She, she had God change her life by a, a message of faith. She got involved in God's kingdom, and God redeemed her from all the mistakes of her past. People still called her Rahab the prostitute, but God saw her as Rahab the woman of faith. God sees you different than how everyone else calls you. What more shall I say? I don't have time to talk about Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. You see, when we move and surrender, we say, God, I want your way. Lord, I, not my way, but your way. That's what Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Surrender always shocks the enemy. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to make your move. For some of you, you need to make a move of faith. For some of you, you need to make a move of compassion. For some, you need to make a move of obedience. And then there's some in the room, you need to make a move of surrender. When I was a little boy, I used to love playing checkers. And we went to Cracker Barrel all the time. And I, at Cracker Barrel, there's a fireplace right here in Oklahoma. I don't know if you got Cracker Barrel in your country, but it's a good, it's a good little restaurant. And there was a checkerboard right there by the fireplace. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about at Cracker Barrel. And I would sit down at the checkerboard. I would play anyone who wanted to play. Just bring another person. Just keep bringing the root beers out. Just keep it on tap. I want a root beer. And I got another opponent. And I start moving. This one kid, he was so good. And we're getting to the end of the checker game. Take another sip of my root beer. <laughs> I'm like 11 years old, just like a... I don't know. Anyways, so 
He makes his move. He had been thinking about it for five minutes. He makes his move, and it's my turn. And I smiled because he didn't see it coming. I had a guy that he had missed. Somehow he didn't see it. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But I was able to jump. I won the game. And he said to me, he said, how did you know what I was going to? I said, I didn't. I was just waiting for you to make your move. And he said, that was so amazing. You shocked me. You surprised me. I didn't know that. There, here, let me say this. There are times when the enemy thinks he has you cornered. There's times where the enemy thinks that he's beaten you. There's times where the enemy thinks that you're, you're not, never going to get through this. Your marriage will never make it through this. The nation will never get through this. Things will ne- I think this is a time where the enemy has made his move and he thinks he's got us beat. But I see a church that's, that's got a, a, another hand. We're about to make our move. And as we make our move... And as you make your move of surrender, for some of you in this room, a move of surrender would be to apologize. It would be so shocking to the enemy. If you made the first apology, you initiated the humility. God humbles those who exalt themselves, but he exalts those who humble themselves. I want you to stand your feet all over this room. Some of you this morning, you need to make a move of surrender. You need to make a move to say, I am tired of holding on to my stubbornness. I am tired of doing things my way. I came into church frustrated, exhausted. Maybe you came today feeling like you're the best. You're the greatest. And God's saying, make your move of surrender. Humble yourself in this season and watch what I'll do. Make your move of faith. For some in the room, fear's been pushing you back. And God's saying, it's time to move towards that thing you've been afraid of. It's time to move towards that thing you've been scared about. It's time to move forward with courage. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray right now for every man in the room and every woman in the room, but first to the men, young and old. God has raised you up for such a time as this. Men, it's time to make your move. God has called many of you men to move forward with faith. And if you do, you're going to bring hope and healing and protection and salvation for so many people on the other side of your faith move. For some of you men, it's a move of surrender. Pride has just been holding you back. Addictions, habits has just been holding you back. Things that have been keeping you locked up, paralyzed, like that man in the home saying, I can't leave, and his son begging him, Daddy, Daddy, listen to him. Movement is life. Movement is life. It's time to make your move of surrender. It's time to stop staying locked up in this prison of addiction, of fear, of strongholds, of jealousy, of whatever it is that's been holding you back. Men, it's time to move with compassion. Ladies in the room, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I just feel like there's a young girl here today, and and you're kind of like that, that young girl like Esther. You find yourself in a unique place, a unique position, and God's saying, Don't squander this opportunity. Don't just think I have you here because of your personality, because of your good looks. God has a unique divine assignment on your life. There's people he's called you to reach. There's moves of faith he's called you to make. There's things he's asking you to do. There's people he's asking you to reach out to. There's initiatives he's calling you to start. And he's saying, ladies, this is an hour for you to rise up. This is a time for you to make your move of faith. God is looking for women like Rahab, like Esther, like Deborah, like Mary. There's there's women in this room. God's saying, I want to use you for such a time as this. And I need you to rise up with faith. And I need you to talk back to those giants that have been pushing you in a corner. And I need you to make a move of courage. 
I want you to move with compassion. Some of you are compassion fatigued. You're just tired of helping other people. And God's saying, don't lose hope. Don't lose courage. Every day, Mother Teresa would just keep getting up, taking another step. Keep on loving people. Keep on showing forgiveness, even when it was painful to move with surrender. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here right now and you just say, man, honestly, Paul, God's speaking to me. There's some things that I need to move on. There's some things that I need to make a move on. If that's you, raise your hand all over this room. Yes, sir. Yes, 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 ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. Could be in your relationship. Could be in your marriage. Could be in your family. Could be with your finances. Could be something God's asking you to obey him that you know you're supposed to do. You've been dragging your feet and God's saying, it's time to do it. It's time to do it. It's time to do it. No more procrastinating. It's time to make your move. Lastly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with Jesus, but I want to get right. I want to move in surrender. I want to move in repentance. I want to move into God's grace and his salvation. If that's you raise your hand today. You're saying, I'm ready to let Jesus be Lord of my life. I'm ready to repent and I'm ready to move forward. If that's you, if you raised your hand or you wanted to, will you leave your seat? Come and meet me at this altar. Make your move. Join me right now down at this altar. Today is a day to move forward out of fear, out of complacency, out of laziness, out of tiredness, out of procrastination, out of toxic things, out of addictions and habits. God's saying it's time to make your move, man. It's time to make your move. Movement is life. It's a matter of life or death for some of you. And I hear God saying it's time, it's time. There's a window of opportunity. It's urgent. It's urgent to move. You still have time. You still have time. Don't let the enemy say it's too late. You can do it. If there's breath in your lungs, you can still make your move. I want us just to take a moment right now as people are coming down to this altar. I don't know what you're coming down for, but God does. God knows exactly what you need in your life right now. Just lift your hands to God. And I believe as you move forward, God's going to meet you right there. Worship band, will you just sing for a moment? Let's just take a minute. Just let the presence of God begin to cover you, wash you, begin to lift you up with faith and courage. Yeah, even when I don't see it. He's working right now. God says, as you move, I'm going to move. As you move, fear has to move back. Bondages are going to be broken. Shame is going to be broken. Chains are breaking off. It's time to make your move. Even when I don't feel that you're working, you never stop. You never stop working. God's moving. He's moving in your life. He's moving in your son's life. He's moving in your family. He's moving through your faith. You never stop working. Never stop. You never stop working.
moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. this altar right now, when I was doing that illustration of pushing fear back, who was that at this altar right now? Who, who are you right now? You are feeling like fear is trying to push you back, push you away from it. I felt like it was you. Will you just stand up here for a second? And will you stand right there? I don't, I just got this vision in my heart. Are you in school right now? No? but you just feel like fear is trying to push you back. I felt like it was her, but I also felt like it was some students in the room. You? Yeah. And that there's some of you, there's some, there's some things the enemy's been trying to push you back. And I want you to just start stepping this direction because where the enemy's been pushing you back, take another step. Don't let the enemy push you back anymore. Don't let the enemy push you back anymore. Don't let the enemy push you back anymore. Don't let shame, don't let fear, don't let discouragement, don't let what they said. What I see is God, thank you so much. What's your name? Brittany. Brittany, you represent some girls out here. You represent some guys out here. You represent some parents right now. You represent some wives in the room. You represent some husbands in the room. You represent some sons and daughters. The enemy will use everything he can to try to push you back. But take another step. Take another step. Movement is life. Movement is life. Shame will keep you down as long as you let it. Shame will keep you in a prison as long as you let it. But the second you recognize you, help, you hold the key to that shame prison, and you get to walk out of it and say, shame off me in Jesus' name. Shame off you in Jesus' name. Shame, get out of my way. Fear, get out of my way. Comparison, get out of my way. Inadequacy, get out of my way. Inferiority, get out of my way. Intimidation, get out of my way. God's calling you to take another step. Is there a business person down at this altar where you've just felt pushed back financially? You just felt like the enemy's been pushing you back. You, ma'am, will you come up here? And you, sir, will you come up here? You raised your hand. You too, ma'am. Because again, the enemy will try to keep your business. He'll try to keep your finances pushed back as long as he can. Whether it's a, a spirit of fear, intimidation, mistakes, watching the economy, watching the news. I want you guys to stand right by each other because as you guys move forward, here I am, I'm fear, take another step. I'm lack, 
I'm lack. What are you doing? take another step. Our family almost stopped on that road trip we were on when I got the phone call. You need to go home. You need to stop this. You need to shut down. Our family ended up making an incredible memory that week. And you might say, well, that's, that's really simple. That's really practical. But see, God wants to move even in the practical ways in your life. We had to move by faith as a family. We had to move by faith as a family. We had to make a move in that moment. The enemy wants to push people back in a corner, depressed, isolated, afraid, but it's time to move forward. So Lord, I pray right now for courage for every man in this room, every woman, every person who's watching online. I don't know who needed to see that example, but today in Jesus name, give them courage to take another step. Give them the courage to move with compassion. Give them the courage to reach out to their neighbors, their family, their friends. Lord, give them courage to move with faith in face of fear, in their finances, in their business, in their dreams, in their schooling, God, in the calling. Give them the courage to move with obedience, God. Lord, give them the courage to move and surrender. Lord Jesus, to make that move of humility, to be the first to apologize, to be the first to forgive, to show love, to, to move in the surrender of saying, not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I surrender to your will, your way. I choose you, your word over everything else. My life is yours. So I'm going to move by faith over fear. I'm going to move with obedience. I'm going to move with compassion. I repent of sin and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that my best days are right in front of me and I'm going to see the victory in Jesus name. Amen and amen. I love you. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week.